My name is Dr. Michaela Keegan Yadley, and I've spent the last 17 years of my career in schools as a teacher and principal. I started the Dissect Ed podcast to help you by using my strengths of connecting and relating to bring amazing guests to you each week. We will cover a wide range of topics related to all aspects of and roles in education. My goal? For you to enjoy and feel successful in your role so we keep amazing teachers and leaders in schools. Thank you for all you do. Take care and enjoy. This podcast episode is brought to you by the 3D Printing Man. Get everything from custom food bowls for your pets to chore lists for your family in more than 15 vibrant colors, all custom designed. Visit his store on Etsy by searching the 3D Printing Man, all one word. Again, that's the 3D Printing Man on Etsy and get 10% off with the code DISSECTED. Hello and happy Tuesday, everybody. We are very lucky today to have Dr. Rick Cromie on the podcast. We recorded this episode a while back um, in November, early December, and I'm excited to bring it to you because I've been talking a lot about classroom management lately. Uh, If you've been listening or you've seen me on social media, you know how important effective classroom management is to me and you know how close to my heart effective productive relationships with students that hold them to high expectations and believe in them are. And Dr. Cromie brings his expertise in that area to us today. I do not have to be the only voice in classroom management. I should not be the only voice in classroom management. You're going to hear him talk about the three reasons why students misbehave. You're going to hear him use an analogy of a smoke detector versus fire extinguisher uh, to talk about being proactive versus reactive when it comes to student behavior, you're going to talk about, hear him talk about engaging students, um, and a lot about his own personal story, which is really powerful. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know you'll take a lot from it. Let us know some feedback when you do finish listening to the episode, and don't forget to sign up for that webinar that I have on the five simple strategies that you can use to improve student behavior tomorrow. It's all on my website at drkeganyadley.com, also linked in the episode notes. Enjoy. Have a great week. All right. Welcome. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Um, I am really excited to have our guest today. We have author, speaker, and professor Dr. Rick Cromie on the podcast today. I have a feeling this will not be the last that you hear from Dr. Cromie on this podcast for sure. Um, He helps educators in classroom management and creative communication and teaching strategies. That's actually what caught my attention um, when I found him. And then there have been other things along the way. I I would like to turn it over to Dr. Cromie so that he can introduce himself. Um, He's extremely dynamic and a lot more fun to hear from than me. So, uh, Dr. Cromie, why don't I turn it over to you, and, and I want you to go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody. Well, well Kayla, that was a pretty good introduction, <laughs> I think. Uh, you know? In fact, I, I, think I, tried. Of all the, I think of all the introductions I've ever received in my life, that was the most recent <laughs> one, for sure. So, uh, <laughs> I try. Uh, no, no, I think you capsulized it well. I'm a speaker, trainer, uh, author. Uh, I've written a number of books. My most recent book is on uh, generations and technology called GenTech, but uh, I've been in the education environment for, oh my goodness, 20 some years uh, as a professor. And so I've mm-hmm. worked uh, in the in the area. My area was higher education. 
education as a professor of, of education. So I taught a lot, but I've also been, I have a pastoral background. So I was a youth mm-hmm. pastor, children's pastor for a while. So I've been dealing with kids and misbehavior and all that fun stuff we're going to talk about today for a long, long time. And of course, I'm a parent and I've got a couple kids, grown kids, and they're both in their <laughs> late 20s now. And, you know, I think that's probably the best rule to know whether or not you've been a good uh, parent is not when they're two years old, but when they're 25 years old. You know? <laughs> good litmus test. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. So, and actually, you know, um, just for our listeners um, today, they're used to uh, a conversational format between me and guests for the most part. Although sometimes it'll be a little more structured um, just depending on the topic and depending on the audience and depending on what the goal is. But for this, while classroom management might seem like a very specific topic, it's kind of like saying learning, you know, teaching. Classroom management is is really um, all-encompassing. So we're going to actually have um, kind of a free-flowing dialogue where we hear from you, um, and then we get to kind of chat back and forth about specifically why students misbehave. Um, because I mean, I'm definitely of the, when we get, I always say, let's look past the behavior. Let's look behind the behavior, um, and get to know the, 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 the student, the child and, and what might be underneath or causing that misbehavior. Then we can truly, um, start to, uh, help that, that student, um, do better. I know that not everybody uh, has the experiences that I've had that have brought me to that place where I'm able to do that. Um, that that's part of what I do. So can you please help us understand why do students misbehave? <laughs> Boy, we're going to get right to it, aren't we? We're, gonna, we are, we're just yeah. going to get right to We're really just going to go right there. <laughs> Let me start with a metaphor because teachers All right. love metaphors, right? Yes, we do. You know, yep. I think I think it's a choice. You have a choice when you walk into your classroom of either being a fire extinguisher teacher or mm-hmm. a smoke alarm teacher. And sure. that's the difference here when it comes to managing a classroom. A smoke alarm basically sniffs out the environment. It's constantly, you know, uh, basically sniffing, I guess is the best word for it again, <laughs> the, the environment mm-hmm. for, for smoke. And, uh, you know, obviously, if you've ever had a smoke detector, most of us do have a smoke detector. We know that it can go off at some rather inconvenient times, <laughs> yes. but uh, we always respond. You know, I, I remember one time I had a, a smoke detector go off in my hotel. I was at down, I think it was Houston, Texas, middle of the night, like two o'clock in the morning, oh. the smoke detector goes off and, and bing, 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 bing. And, and literally they had, they had to clear the entire hotel. And we stood out there for an hour before they were able to bring us all back in and, and such. But there, there was someone had just been cooking some food and it had gotten out of hand. There was no real fire. It was just a lot of smoke. And, but it, it cleared a hotel. On the other hand, I've been in a, I had a little 14 by 70 mobile home, one of my first homes I was ever in. Mm-hmm. And I was down uh, on the one end brushing my teeth one morning. I heard beep, 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 beep. And I looked down and I see three feet of flame coming out of the oh. toaster. My, oh. my son had put, or uh, one of my kids, I don't, maybe, maybe it had not been my son. I'm incriminating him and I shouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but he had put toast into the toaster and it didn't, and when it popped up, it didn't pop up. And oh. so it caught on fire eventually. And there, and he just was playing. He didn't know anything else. And, you know, three feet. If I had not responded at that point, we could have lost the whole house. Right. So a smoke detector is very important. It's, it's sniffing the environment for danger. And it gives you at least a heads up. 
That's mm-hmm. what I think a good teacher does in the classroom. We're constantly looking at our environments. We're, we're, we're sniffing them, for, for lack of a better word, to, to understand can misbehavior possibly, possibly sprout here? And then secondly, you know, the, the opposite of that is the smoke detector. And this is where you're constantly reacting to, to oh, fire. The, the fire extinguisher. Or the fire, yep. excuse me, the fire extinguisher. Yep. Yeah, I misspoke there. Fire, fire extinguisher. <laughs> you know, where, where you constantly are reacting to the fire. The fire's already out of control, and you're just going around putting out fires. And I have seen that so many times in classes. And, you know, I had that problem myself. Uh, I was constantly, you know, going around putting out, dealing with misbehavior because I was taught, you know, a lot of misbehavior, you just ignore it. You know, or yeah, mm-hmm. and then I was given all sorts of strategies. In fact, I remember one classroom management course I was in. It was nothing but strategy after strategy of how to put out a fire. In mm-hmm. other words, we wait till the kids misbehave and then yep. we put out the fire. And what I learned, and I learned it in my graduate education when I started looking at classroom management at a deeper level, was mm-hmm. that smoke detector teachers and smoke detector classroom management is mm-hmm. more proactive rather than reactive in nature. And so that's, that's really where I, I land on this. I, I want to encourage us as teachers, as educators, to be more proactive in how we manage a classroom. Now, why do kids misbehave? Well, obviously, there are a million reasons why kids misbehave. Uh, but if you're dealing with Normal, I mean, take away special needs children's hair mm-hmm. in, this, in this conversation. If you're dealing with normal, average, everyday kids, which most of us are dealing with, I think it boils down to three reasons. And most of the, most of the reasons come down to one. And, and the first one, and I'll, I'll deal with that one with the most, is belonging. Most mm. of our students don't feel like they're fitting in to the social situation. See, we forget that education, the learning environment, is a social situation. It's a social environment. And so kids are playing one to another. Uh, they're playing to you. You're playing to them. You want them to, uh, to listen to you. You're, it's, it's a totally a relationship type of uh, quid pro quo almost. And relationships and belonging issues then become a major factor of why kids misbehave. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a man who wrote about this back in the um, 1950s. Uh, he was a man by the name of Rudolf Dreikers. And mm-hmm. I ran into him in my graduate work again on classroom management. And Dreikers suggested that the genuine goal of every human being in whatever situation, whatever cultural situation or social situation, excuse me, is to belong. And mm-hmm. when we don't sense that belonging, we then, he used the word, we jump the trails or we jump the trail and we start to pursue what he called mistaken goals of belonging. And what's interesting is you see them in our classrooms all the time. Low level, the very first rung, he called that just uh, attention seeking. Uh, you know, I call it waving flags. The, mm. the students just waving flags. They're trying to get your attention. They're basically saying, I'm not fitting in here. There's a disconnect that's gone on. Uh, maybe it's between me and another student. Uh, maybe it's between me and the, the material. The material's either too easy for me or it's mm. over my head. I'm not getting or maybe there's a disconnect between yourself and you know the teacher and the student. There's a disconnect. And low level, and let me just tell you, low level misbehavior, we have been primarily taught to ignore. You're right. It's like that smoke yep. detector going off and we go, oh, well, no. Wait till, we it, only, wait till it becomes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. We don't ignore a smoke detector. And that's what I think is a great metaphor. We need to 
pay attention. Because if we don't, what happens is we drive them to the next level, and that's power plays. This is now the level where the student starts to basically, all those misbehaviors, they're the same thing. You know, I'll just kind of play around, you know, you know kids playing with their, their pens or something like that. Maybe they're banging yeah. their pens on the, mm-hmm. on the, you know, it doesn't bother you. So you ignore it, right? Yeah. Well, when it starts to ignore you, it's because it's become a power play. Now the student wants to see who's got the power. Now, here's the problem with that. We already know who has the power. Ultimately, we do. We yeah. do. Teachers, you know, we, we know that we can, we can actually outpower play the student. There are all sorts of little things we can do. One of the biggest ones, by the way, is um, a form of, um, you know, timeout. We separate, you know, I tell, talk to parents about this all the time as well. We separate our kids out, you know, and let me ask you, if belonging is the issue, is disconnecting them and putting them in a corner or separating them from the classroom going to resolve a belonging issue? And the answer is common sense. No, no. And Dreikers really revolutionized my own thinking because he got me going, well, wait a minute. I not, not only do I need to recognize misbehavior very low, I can actually change it around before it gets out of control. And these power plays then, if they're not resolved, they then move up to the next level, which is revenge. Mm-hmm. And revenge can get ugly. Uh, I mean, I, you see it in a number of different ways. Um, you know, I saw a teacher once turn and, and put their back to their, their class just for a moment. And the students were throwing paper at them. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've seen that before too. Yeah. You know, yeah. or a parent, you know, just, just on the parenting phase, you know, if a parent hears the words, I hate you, that's a revenge statement. Mm-hmm. They know that hurts you. Revenge is personal. It's, it's meant to hurt you. And we don't like it. And, and so what do we do? We revenge back. We just power play. We pour it back. On. You're going to see the principal or you're, you're out of here. I'm going to flunk you. Grades are our big one, aren't they? You know, as, as yeah. a way that we're oh, yeah. to get from the yeah. line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Dreikers then suggests the highest level is resignation. Uh, basically, the student oh. just, just gives up, which is interesting. Because is I interesting. have to- I had this exact same thing happen to me in math class when I was in high school. My highest level of math was algebra prep. I had a teacher who really didn't teach me algebra, and I was struggling from the very beginning. Oh, I tried, but I just Mm -hmm. wasn't getting it. And I realized I started to fall behind the other students, and then the teacher started to make fun of me in class. Uh, And I just I tried the power plays. Didn't work. I even did a little bit of revenge, but I'm a nice kid. I just said, you know what? I gave up. I gave up. Mm. On my final exam day, I had a 16% in algebra prep. And she handed me the final exam and I looked at it and went, hmm, I don't know any of this. So I wrote my name at the top and sat there for the entire exam. And then when I handed the exam in, she said my name for the first time that entire semester. The first time. Mr. Cromie, we need to talk. And I went, gulp, you know, and at that yeah. point, she told me that, you know, you, you flunked my class. And if you, you realize that because you flunked my class, you're going to have to come back and do it again next year. I said, yes, ma'am. I do realize that, but I still don't understand it. And she says, well, the thing is, is I don't want you in my class next year. Now I hadn't been that bad of a student. I just refused to work for her. I just mm-hmm. went in there and I gave up. She passed me in algebra prep that year. 
gave me the credit I needed. So I never needed another math class in high school. So don't tell me the system doesn't push you on. I'm, a, I'm actually a living proof that it can happen, but mm -hmm. all because I gave up. The teacher stopped teaching. It was belonging issue, in this case for me, not understanding right. the material. Yep, but, so it was between yeah. you and the material. Class clowns, yeah. though. Think about a class clown. Yeah. All they're doing is mm -hmm. trying to get attention. Yeah. I have a, uh, on this issue, on this, um, the issue of belonging, so like the, one, of the, one of the reasons why students misbehave. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I think I know what you're going to say about this, but I want I want to pose the question anyway. Do you think that this could be one of the key uh, reasons or key factors in there being a lot of challenges for students as they re-enter these classroom spaces, school spaces for the first time uh, in maybe a year and a half? Absolutely, this is what we're seeing, mm -hmm. and, and and what they're doing is they're. And my wife is a parateacher. She says it is mm -hmm. absolutely unbelievable right now. You know, there are teachers, the, the, the morale is so low among teachers. And we're only a few months into the, the semester. I know. I know. Semester. I yeah, know. What's going on is kids had a whole year off. And, and now they're meant to come in and we put them back into that social space. And it, it, there's a lot of disconnection. You know, to be honest, I think if I was a principal of a school, bringing my students back, and I tell, I have a whole workshop that I do for educators called Sticky Learning, where I, I saw teach, that. Yeah, I teach basically the the rules of three: how the first three minutes in a class for a new student are so critical; how the first three weeks are so critical in the first part of the year; how the first three mm. months set the tone then for the rest of the year, and, and nine months basically three times three, you know sets the tone for, for possibly future mentoring of a student. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And so the rule of three, sticky learning, it's all about the relationship. I remember as a professor, um, Michaela, I was, um, I could literally make a prediction by the end of September, which students were going to quit at the end of the semester, basically quit, quit the college where I was at. And, and I was probably right, I would say 90% of the time. There may have been a few times I was wrong, but for the most part, I was right. And the reason was, was I just started to look for kids who are sitting by themselves in the cafeteria. If they had not oh. developed a relationship in the cafeteria, they were sitting by themselves day after day after day. They had not found any found any with. Their friendship level was very low, and they oh. were lonely people. Do you think they're going to stick around at that school for very long? No. Yeah. Most of most of them left school by semester's end. Unfortunately, in the in K through twelve, you got to go to school, right? You do. Yep. Yeah. Belonging. So it's huge. It's huge. It is. It is. I mean, I, we could probably do, we could do an entire. Gosh, we could do a whole. We could do a whole semester on belonging. Um, we yep. could do a whole you know podcast series on belonging. But this is to me where relationships, like you said, come into come into play and why it's so important to establish those relationships and work so hard to build the relationships in your class, like among your, among your class, right. Among yeah. um, like the culture for learning in your class and the, just the culture in general, but also specifically between you and your students as a group, but then between you and especially the student that you see not belonging. And again, you said that indicators of not belonging are, you know, attention seeking, um, yeah getting into power struggles, uh, revenge, like you said, and, and it's really tough 
if, if for some reason it's gotten to the, and it's easy to get to the point of revenge. I mean, I've, my, I myself who I'll, I understand the power dynamic and how, I mean, I think a kid always wins, right? <laughs> because the, the teenager is like designed to win power struggles, but um, really nobody wins, but they, uh, you know, it, it, uh, you have a bad day and you, you don't respond the right way. Right. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you're in revenge. And if you're aware of it, you say, oops, yeah. <laughs> okay, I see where that went wrong and you can make it right with, with the student, yeah. but that usually you need to have at least some sort of relationship established, but yeah. how quickly it can go from attention seeking to power play to revenge, to resignation that can happen so fast. Yeah. Well, it's going to be individual. I mean, it just depends on how, how rebellious the student can be. I mean, mm-hmm. I was the type of kid that was always kind of mildly in trouble, but my, my whole gig was to get somebody else in trouble and then watch them <laughs> take the rap, you know? Uh, but, you know, belonging is so huge to this process. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why I, I spend a lot of time, you know, in, in my classes really developing relationships mm-hmm. Yeah, because I really believe that relationships are the key and interactive learning, collaborative learning, any way that we can get students working together uh, you know, it's so, it's so helpful. And there are a lot of strategies. Mm-hmm. We know this, we know this stuff, you know, we know we on the first day of class, this always killed me. Think about, we, we do so many, and I, I, I can't speak from the K through 12 experience because I've never been a teacher at K through 12, but it always mm-hmm. boggles my mind that professors in, in higher education and spend the first three minutes of class starting with a syllabus. Yeah. Well, let's start with a syllabus. Really? You know, I, what I would do is I'd spend my first day getting to know my students, the entire yeah. hour getting to know the students. I would give them the syllabus in the last five minutes of class and say, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to go home, go back to your room. I want you to read through it. Tomorrow, I'll answer any questions for mm-hmm. you. Because that was a whole lot better time, to use, better way to use my time because, you know, then we came back and, oh, I got a question on this assignment. Oh, great. We'll just deal with it. That's how I dealt with syllabi, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. That's. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, for anybody listening, the same is true for uh, for a K-12. It really is. Um, and, you know, you don't have to have a week long orientation um, and, you know, have activities for an entire week in a school to cultivate a sense of belonging in your class uh, or among the students in the school. You need teachers who can do that in their classrooms, you know, doing some sort of get to know you activity um, and then to some team building activities and that they can be content related, right? Cause I think some teachers sometimes are like, Oh my gosh, that's not my thing. I, uh, I don't know what, I, I can't do that. Well, you don't have to, not everybody's going to do like, yeah, we're, we're not doing a human knot, please, please don't do the human knot, you know? Um, <laughs> but like, there are, um, so many things you can do that are content related that yeah. build community and, and allow people, allow kids to get to know each other and, for them to get to know the teacher and for the teacher to get to know um, yeah. the students. So um, well, I'm, I'm glad a, that you. I'm, I'm, a substitute, I'm a substitute teacher as well. And uh, yeah. you know, that's, I got to tell you, if, if anybody, <laughs> you ought to say a prayer for your substitute teachers. Yeah. I got to tell you when they're yeah. in there, uh, I mean, that that's a tough gig. I did it, it too. It is. Yeah, it is a tough gig, but i tell you what, knowing that belonging issues are 80% of the gig and the reason mm-hmm. why those disconnections are going on, what are they trying to do? When you go in there as a teacher, is a sub, is they're trying to they're trying to figure out what can we get away with, 
you know, yeah. how much can we get away with? And so I spend a lot of my time with my subclasses, just getting to know them until I get to yeah. know them, you know? So I spend, you know, the materials are going to be there. We're going to get through that. You know, I'll do that. Usually teachers leave me with a lot less than I need to work. They tend to be done <laughs> earlier anyway. So, yep. but, but I just want to get to know my students. And I find that when I get to know them as a substitute, they tend to like me. And they tend to go, you know what, I, I'm not going to mess around with this guy. He actually cares about me. You know? Or if you can have a chuckle at yourself sometimes, uh, yeah. you know, if they do get one over on you, it's like, mm, you know what, that's not cool. But I, pre I can appreciate uh, the, your craftiness and being able to do that. But I think you're right. I mean, when I go into enough, there's nothing more intimidating, I think, I guess, maybe when you're used to building relationships, than going into a classroom full of adolescents that you don't know. <laughs> that is one of the most, and, and that you have to then, you know, that you're there to sub substitute for. Um, and when I say intimidating, I mean, like, when you know that you're being, that you're at, literally set up to not be successful in that period. But the way you create the success is by, like you said, what I do is I usually um, go in, obviously introduce myself do all the, but then I just start going, walking around the room just getting to know kids, I'll, I'll find anything yeah. that I can be like, oh my gosh, you like soccer? That's my, yeah. like, and I don't, I don't lie. That's really my favorite. Anything that I can connect with them on, um, I will. Uh, and, and I do it as quickly as I can to establish that real fast um, yeah. as, as we walk around. And then, you know, it, it's just a lot easier. Um, but that, again, it's that relationship and connection, like you said, um, that's the key there. And that's the difference between working with children and working with teenagers. You know, if you walk into a room full of children and they don't know you and you don't know them, the question on their mind is, is this guy or this gal going to like me? You know, and if you show them any type of attention, any type of affection, you build that belonging. They're OK. You go into a, a, an adolescent room and it's a classroom it's flipped around. The question now is, will I like as a student, will I like you as the teacher? <laughs> And that's why a lot of teachers feel like they got to be on stage with kids, especially teenagers. You know, mm -hmm. my goodness, if I'm not on stage, if I'm not hip, if I'm not, you know, you want to know something? I'm, I'm probably one of the unhippest people on the planet. You know what kids want today is real. They want to know, are you going to yeah, be real do. with That's me? all they yeah. care about. That's all they care about. And I, because I'll be honest with them, too. I tell them, listen, I am not cool. Like, I, like you're a lot cooler than me. But like, I'll, let's get that established first. But um, I say this all the time you know, teenagers or adolescents, they sniff it out. And I mean, it's got to be with it before one second, right there. Right. The first, the only thing they want to know, like you said, is how authentic and real is this person yeah. going to be? It's not about being cool. It's not about saying the right thing. It's about being honest. Um, and, you know, I, no matter if I know if I'm meeting a kid for the first time, because as a principal, I used to meet kids sometimes for the first time under pretty unfortunate circumstances yeah. um, or some pretty uh, uh, difficult circumstances or challenging. Um, and that's the first thing I'd always say is, um, you know, A, this is a no judgment zone. B, uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to you to make you feel good. And I'm not going to lie to you to make you feel bad. I'm just going to be honest with you. So like I, if you can be honest with me, that's going to be the best way we can go about this because I'm not going to promise you things I can't deliver and I'm not going to threaten you with things that aren't going to happen. We're going to, I'm going to be extremely on as honest with you um, as possible. That's what you're going to get from me. It, I can't tell you how disarming that was every, I don't think it ever, it, I mean, what, let's say it wasn't effective 
so, a couple times, but it, that wasn't the reason. The reason why I wasn't yeah. effective was because the, the need that the child had was just so much greater than that kind of conversation. Um, but when, you know, when meeting a, 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 a teenager for the first time, even if it's under circumstances that are like that, as long as you can tell them, I'm going to, I, I, you're going to get honesty from me. I'm going to, yeah. that's because that's what they want to know. Are you going to, are you going to lie to me? Are you going to trick me? Are you, do you have other motives? Like, who are you? Who are you really? <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so what does, that, what does that say about other teachers in their lives where they get that feeling? That means, yeah, that so means they've, they've had they've those experiences with yeah. teachers who have tricked them. Mm-hmm. And good education and good classroom management, it's not about tricks. Right. That, that's a whole other podcast. Is uh, we got to get rid of get rid of the tricks. You know, there's better yeah. ways to motivate. But belonging is probably eighty percent of the gig, especially oh, yeah. when you're dealing with teenagers. But even the younger ones, it's all about: Do I fit in this classroom? Do I fit in with my friends? Do I do I fit in with you as a teacher? It's all belonging. But- it is. It is, and there are, are ways to. You know, I actually um, have a classroom management course, or I call effective and authentic. Um, and the 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 bulk of it, the the first module, I guess you could call it, um, is relationships, relationships, relationships. And I mean, what I say is that's at the core of your classroom management uh, system approach, whatever you want to call it, it has to revolve around relationships without relationships. Um, it's, it's not going to, there's not going to be anything to it. It's just going to be a system of carrots Mm -hmm. and sticks. Um, that's all you're going to be able to rely on because, uh, the relationship piece has to be there. It has to be there. Um, and they also, and then you need to be be able to be authentic because if you're trying to be someone who that you're not, or act like someone that you're not, they can, they pick up on it so fast that they're not going to want to learn or, or hear from you on, uh, on anything to do classroom management. Right. Right. Well, you know, it's, it's a huge part. That's why we spend a lot of time on this particular one. You know, yeah. if you, re- if you so, can recognize belongings, the issue, you know, it's your job to turn that around. You as a teacher are in control. You know, yes. And, actually, and, all, and also knowing that it's, it's easier to be proactive about it. Like you said, to be the smoke yeah. detector, but also to make sure that you um, are creating the conditions for smoke, not even to be there. Right. And to, exactly. um, and, and, to, and to actually, yeah, you can, you can, you, you can create, you can do the best you can to create the safest conditions, the most conducive conditions in your classroom for a sense of belonging. And yeah. then yes, of course, some things come up, but they're going to be for uh, a lot easier to, to, to handle, easier to detect. Um, and, uh, and they won't be as frequent. So let's get into the second one. Cause we spent, I know we spent yeah. a lot on belonging, but you know, to me, to your point, that's, right. it's critical. Well, just on that predictive part, all of these, are you can once you understand them, you can then predict. Oh, if that's mm-hmm. going to create this this thing to pop, then mm-hmm. I can do something ahead of time. You know that's mm-hmm. why the first three weeks of the cl- of a of a class is so important. You yeah, know, because of belonging issues. Number mm-hmm. two, though, boredom. Boredom. Ah. They're they're bored. They're they're literally. We all have attention spans. And it's interesting that with children, I think their attention span pretty much equals their age. You've got a two-year-old, you've got a two-minute attention span. You've got a five-year-old, you've got a five-minute attention span. You've got a 10-year-old, you maybe got 10 minutes of attention span. The problem is, is that because of social media, in particular micro media out there, when we get into the adolescence, 
the teenagers that have been running with social media and this micromedia like TikTok and Snapchat yes. and Twitter and all these things where it's really, you know, everything's got to be fairly uh, like a 15 quick. second, 30 second. Yeah. That's all you have for content. Yep. Yep. They, they say the average YouTube video is four minutes. Four yeah. minutes. Wow. So that's kind of my my thing when I'm talking with educators. If you're teaching high schoolers and, and teenagers, uh, middle schoolers, think in four minute chunks. How can I communicate mm. this in four minutes, then make a subtle shift? It might be nothing more than I lecture for four minutes and then let's have a conversation for another four yep. minutes. Then mm -hmm. Let's do an activity for four minutes and then we come back and do another discussion. Uh, you, you just think in, in four to five minute shifts. Uh, because otherwise uh, you're you're going to bore them and when a, yeah. when a child or teen gets bored they're going to act up that's what class clowns are for they're bored and and they know that when there's boredom in the classroom that gives them a stage you know let's let's go have some fun with the teacher you know <laughs> boredom um and so what are you know i i actually really like your recommendation and how you identified that um you know, acknowledging that, yes, like we are in a different time. I mean, I even noticed for myself, I'm like, oh, yeah. this thing is three minutes. I don't want to wait till the end of this, you know, if I'm, it's on social media. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, I, I know that I've seen the effects of that. And I see, um, you know, how teenagers are, are consuming their content and what they're putting and how they're putting out their content. Um, so for you to say, think in four minute chunks, but to also clarify that it doesn't mean you have to every four minutes completely change what you're doing, but no, it's that no, no. after, you know, after four minutes, check in, you know, like yeah. if you're lecturing for four minutes or giving notes for whatever it is for four minutes, pause, you know, that, that's, that's like an indicator. Oh, we're doing something different. We're going to check yeah. in now and then get back to, and, and, and that, I mean, honestly, that's just best practice. Um, because for, even for kids who, um, aren't, maybe they're not on, on social media, anybody with like, say attention, um, so ADD, ADHD, difficulty paying attention, anxiety, um, the, this causes, um, people to have, a, a an attention span that is, um, it's lower than what others may have. Like it's, it's, it's a short amount of time. So to constantly check in is actually just great practice. Well, and the heart of this is media. Media mm -hmm. actually creates attention spans. When when you think of, when you think about what television did for us, uh, you know, mm -hmm. when when I was um, in high school, when I was a, a, a young adult in college, you know, the attention span of the average teenager and even adult at that point was about twelve and a half minutes. Mm. Well, why would that be? Oh, you know, until commercial every break. 12, every twelve and a half minutes, yeah, we get a commercial break. Our minds were grooved. To have that but what's interesting too to me and i've been following technology and media and all that for mm. 30 30 40 years now and it's it's interesting to me how much media think about television again uh, i always say for those of us who are older you might remember brady bunch you know some of those yeah. old comedies like that where they would have i go back go back to a brady bunch show i'll just since i brought that one up and watch it you're gonna find one camera on one scene sometimes for two to three minutes the actors mm. are just inside the scene, but the camera never changes. And yet today the cameras are constantly moving and sometimes yeah. they're shaking. And, and our kids today are multi-visual, whereas those of us who are older, I would say if you're over 50, you're probably more mono-visual <laughs> in the television yeah. grooving that. But kids today now, are multi-visual. Video games have also contributed oh, to that. 
absolutely. Yeah. And now you you have a book. You said your most recent book, right? Is yeah. that what's the title of it again? I have a book called Generations in Technology called Gen Tech. And is that what is does that address what you were talking about right now? It, it, it does a little bit. Uh, my basically what I'm doing is framing how technology. Well, I'll say it more proper here, uh, how technology frames our generational personality. You know, Got we're it. not baby boomers or millennials. Let's just take the millennials for a moment. Well, better yet, let's talk about our audience. Let's talk mm -hmm. about kids who've been born since the year 2000. Mm -hmm. They're not Generation Z. I mean, that's a lazy term that means absolutely nothing. And I spent a whole chapter mm -hmm. in the book talking about that. You know, I've called them for years the iTech generation. Because if you were born in the year 2000, you grew up with the iTechnologies, the mm -hmm. iTunes, the iPods, the iPads, the iPhones, the iWatches, mm -hmm. and that social media then that folded over because you're using smartphones and all that folds into this and they just have different ways that they interact with the world. You know, mm -hmm. Gen, yeah. this, what we call them Gen Z is, again, a lousy moniker. These high tech generation, they just look at the world differently and they interact differently. You know, well, that's interesting. Just, I mean, yeah. I know that, you know, for us, for our purposes today, like we're not going down that road. But let's if we, we took a, a little a little walk down it real quickly. Yeah. to um, sure. and, and, and so I think what I'll say there before we go on to the third reason that kids misbehave is I actually think there is quite the link between um, or that it would be a worthwhile read for especially well, for, really for any teacher, because um, a lot of educators, you know, I mean, I'm 41. I did not grow up with I grew up with, uh, you know, one phone that had a busy signal, not even with call waiting. Right. And yeah. my friends could never get through because my mom had a twin sister and they spent the whole night on the phone together. <laughs> um, and then when we did get call waiting, it was like my brother listening in on my conversations. Right. Or if we had like a way to, uh, or if, you know, who wasn't yeah. answering the phone. But like, I, you know, I didn't grow up with, with, um, with cell phones and, and that, like you said, the I, I technology, I, even though I'm aware that, that there's that, our, when did you, when did you, get you know, students now I was honestly I was in college and I think I had a plan it was like I'm talking had about your family though talk about your family no your my family, family no my father had my father had a it was called a car phone I remember it went into his um it was something like it looked like it went into the cup holder and it was right. about this big probably got like a foot tall maybe, maybe like eight inches tall and um I was a like maybe 12 13 years old, 14. Yeah. And he had that because he, um, for his, it was a company car that he was using. As far as a cell phone, my, my mom didn't have one. Um, and I think I definitely didn't have one in high school. It was college. And it was because um, my mom wanted to make sure that I ever needed in an emergency, if I needed to make a phone call, I could. Sure. But we only had 15 minutes of free minutes. Oh. <laughs> I can't even, that is unfathomable um, yeah. to think that we had 15, 15 minutes a month um, yeah. free before we started getting charged like astronomical uh, amounts right. of money. But, uh, but it, I and think that's that, how that would be really it changes. Helpful. Yes. That's how yes. It changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My first, it is. Our, our family's first cell phone, it was when we moved to St. Louis uh, from Boise, Idaho. And because we moved there, we decided to get a family cell phone. We could finally yeah. afford a family oh, okay. cell phone. I got to carry it because I was the one that was away from the house more than, than, mm -hmm. than they were. 
Uh, but when we moved back to Boise in 2007, we're talking under 10 years, we abandoned the landline and bought four cell phones for each of us. And then yeah. a couple of years later, we bought, we ended up buying the smartphones for each of us. Uh, yeah. Because by 2010, it, it was all smartphone technology. Ab- absolutely. It's, it, it's so quick, like you said. Um, but yeah, just to understand, really to understand, not just, we, yeah. we all know what, there's a difference, but to understand what those differences are and then what they mean um, is probably pretty helpful in understanding the generations, like you right. said, um, because uh, sometimes there are some things that are difficult for us to really relate to. And it's difficult for the kids to relate to us because they don't know a world. They can't even imagine. Sometimes <laughs> even my stepkids will be like, you didn't have cell phones. I don't understand. And I'm like, yeah. no, no, really, you don't know what it was like. Um, yeah. But so uh, what do we do? they walk into the classroom and we as teachers confiscate their cell phones. You know? <laughs> right. And I, they just, I, you know, that practice, they take the cell phones and they put them in a box. And I'm going, OK, you know, as a professor, I use those. I figure, hey, listen, these are learning tools. You know, why not have them constantly? If they're going to Google stuff. Let them be Googling stuff in class yeah. while we're talking about it. You know, if I mention, I don't know, Benjamin Disraeli. Oh, go go Google that guy. Tell me all you. Well, that's what we do. That's what we do in real life. And you know, I might I might be unpopular in the um, teacher world or even in the the principal world for saying this, but you know, I personally never. The only issue I ever had with cell phones was if they were used to plan something unsafe, like a fight or you know something happening. But for the most part. That wasn't what was that it did. There were a couple of years where that was something that was going on, but you know, now it's such a tool to use to look things up. I mean, I've had, it's enriched, um, I think classrooms in a lot of ways. So, um, it's difficult to say like, Hey, for the other, you know, 18 hours of the day, you're going to use this to look up everything that, and so am I, by the way, (laughs) I'm going to use this nonstop to look up everything in the world that I need to know, even at dinner when I'm, when my, uh, my stepson and my husband and I are, you know, debating something, we are all on our phones, who can Google it faster to prove our point, Um, you know, and, but but yeah, in the classroom, you know, it, it, it it is difficult to, to say to, say to a a kid, hey, um, you know, you can't use that. Let's move on to the third reason why right, um, right. students misbehave. Tell, right. tell us about this third reason. Well, again, uh, belonging issues, probably 80%. Boredom issues, I think the younger you go, the more you can get into boredom issues okay. because the attention yep. spans are so small. The last issue, the last, the last reason is b- uh, beliefs. Mm. And these come out pr- primarily in the preteen age. Uh, you're not going to have belief issues with young kids at all. But by the time they get to be preteens, and, and it, you see it on the, you, you see it really, you know, about fifth, sixth grade, uh, those mm-hmm. the kids, they start to recognize they're not the fastest kid in class. Uh, they're not the uh, smartest kid in class. They're not the mm-hmm. best athlete in class. They're not the prettiest kid in class. And, and they start to rank. Okay. And I think it's always interesting. And uh, maybe you can remember your, your preteen years, but I pretty much knew by the time I was headed off to, we called it junior high back in that yeah, day. Yeah, we did too. Yep. Middle, middle school. When I was headed off to the middle school years, the wonder years, as we would call mm-hmm. it uh, as well, is that I already knew who was going to be the homecoming king and queen of my mm-hmm. class. I already knew who's going to be the valedictorian and salutatorian. Mm-hmm. I, I already knew all these different uh, labels that uh, social labels that were going to happen. And I knew which groups were who and which groups I could be a part of, which groups I couldn't be a part of. And, you know, we, we, we start to define ourselves by that point. We have beliefs then about who we are. 
uh, for me, I, I, these beliefs, if, if they can be, um, connected to bad behavior, you can see where that could be a play. Uh, for example, um, you know, a kid comes into class for the, the first time and, and maybe the teachers have been talking about this kid, you know, I actually had a teacher say this to me once. So I know firsthand, I walked into this class first day of class and I'm just, I just want to be good for this teacher. It's a brand new year. And uh -huh. she says to me, she says, uh, Mr. Cromie. I said, yes, that's me. She says, I've heard about you and I just want you to know, you're not going to get away with the stuff you did next door last year. And she, immediately what she did was she set the bar very low for me. And I said, fine, mm -hmm. I'm going to show you that I'm going to get away with it. And I started to act out because I, I basically, she framed me as being a bad kid. Yeah. You know, our beliefs. And, and that I really think that's 90% of great teaching as well, especially when you get into the preteen, oh, I agree. adolescent, is we have to change the tape that other Absolutely. teachers, other parents, other influencers, even, you know, in the church world, pastors have put mm -hmm. on these kids. You know, Barbara Colorosa, I don't know if you're familiar with Barbara Colorosa. No. She's a, I think she's Canadian. Uh, she had a little bit of um, uh, firepower down here a few years ago, but she had a book called uh, Kids Are Worth It, and she wrote in there, and this really influenced me, so much so that I put it in every one of my syllabi every single year mm. as a professor. She said there are six critical life messages that every student, every student, every child, every teenager, really every person should hear, but particularly every student. And she said, if you can do it every day, do it every day. I heard her speak one time. Here are the six messages. I believe in you. I trust you. I know you can handle this. You are listened to, you are cared for, and you are important to me. I put those right into my syllabi. And I told my students that on the first day, I said, I want you to know, I believe in you. You know, there may be moments where we have some issues, but I want you to mm -hmm. know, I believe in you. I believe in you. I trust you. I trust that, that, that we can have a, a great working relationship. I know that you can handle this. And where you can't handle it, I'm going to help you to handle it. I'm going to help teach you to get to that spot where you can handle it. I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to care for you. If you have a need that I need to deal with, that's part of my job as a teacher. And finally, you're just important to me because if you weren't in this class, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be. Uh, it's not just it's an opportunity just to teach, but I wouldn't be here. You know, even you know for the most base you know idea just getting a paycheck you need a student to get a paycheck right and you want to yeah and you want to know what oh man so much on this and just so much on this uh today in my honestly in my world like literally today like today monday yeah. we're recording this on a monday for everybody who's listening um i uh encountered today uh i was actually um asked to go to a school and support they had a, a tragedy over the weekend and so um, I was in a school that is completely new to me. I haven't been there before. And uh, so I was, um, you know, just uh, checking in, right? Like I just, as, I, as many people as I could check in with and figure out what they needed. Um, that's what I was doing. So I was uh, in the classroom and I actually took a picture of this teacher's um, whiteboard because I knew in the morning, they had uh, like an extended morning meeting, advisory, whatever you want to call it, right? To mm -hmm. to address what had happened and to try to be as supportive as possible. And so I ended up just actually being in that classroom um, uh, at one point um, in the middle of the day. Uh, they uh, because of COVID, some of the protocols, some students eat lunch uh, in their classroom. So I just happened to be in the classroom, 
helping, supporting so the teacher could take a, take a breather. And I looked and I, I saw um, a greeting and uh, there was a, a protocol they must have called pass the greeting. Um, and then they had a share and it was, how are you feeling? Just an open share. And I thought, wow, that that's, that's gutsy given the, um, because that, that they, they didn't have to do that, right? There was like a, a message they all had to read. And then I think teachers, as they were comfortable, could take it where they needed to go. So it was a clear indicator that a classroom culture had been, has been established in this classroom. But then we have daily news. And I, I just stared at this while I was uh, with these students who were eating. Um, and I took a picture and I'm like, God, they're going to think I'm so weird. I, I take myself when I'm taking pictures <laughs> in the classroom. Um, but I, I, I talked to the teacher um, when, when uh, he came back. And this is what, it, what the bulletin, um, the whiteboard said. It said, we love you. And that was um, underlined. And so we are here for you. We live in a cruel world, but you all make it less cruel and add light. Be kind to one another. Be patient. Have empathy. Tell people you mm-hmm. love them grateful for this community, love, and then the two teachers. And I mean, it caught my attention because I felt the authenticity and the love come through that message. And I don't even know these people, you know, and I just thought, wow, what, and, 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 and on the other hand, I had, I was checking, I checked in with another teacher today who was just, you know, we were just chatting and he said, you know, somebody who, um, who doesn't really know the students walk, step, walked into my classroom today and um, I guess kind of admonished maybe the teacher for not teaching some content at the moment when I, I thought, well, that's mm-hmm. weird because that we didn't talk about that. And also, you know, you, you were taking care of your children, of your kids, you know, in a time when the, uh, you know, it was a pretty big tragedy. But he said, um, but the person walked in and said, I just want you all to know I love you. And he said to me, he's like, it didn't feel real. It felt like something that, and the way he described it was like that they took it off. Like they, it's like they cut it out of a magazine or something and like just put it on the wall because they thought they were supposed to. I thought the way he described it, I, I think he described it way better than that, but it was very, um, like it just stood out to him. Yeah. And I thought, wow, you know, it's just so, it's obvious to, to, to people um, when somebody really does care. And you can say the same words and say the same thing and somebody who means it you can tell they mean it and you can and you can tell when somebody doesn't um and the, you know as far as the go ahead i'll finish your thought I'll no no no, no no go ahead that's it well i think this is why i think uh, preschool and kindergarten teachers are so important because mm-hmm. you really can groove a kid for life you know, I have, a, you mentioned some of my, my pedigree, my, my accomplishments and, and my doctorate and all those other educational things. Mm-hmm. And none of that would have happened without a kindergarten teacher in my life. Mm. A kindergarten teacher who told my mom, I didn't even, she never said it to me. I, I don't remember it ever happening <laughs> to me, but she told my mom that, you know, Rick, Ricky, you know, he's, he's a creative kid. And, and I don't know, I think he's going to do something special with his life. I think he can do anything he wants, but you know, I think he ought to just go for it. I think I, something big's going to happen for him. Well, my mom kept telling me that all these years. I got to tell you, it wasn't too much longer. I looked at me and flat out start with a C, and that's all you're ever going to be in life. And I looked, man, my kindergarten teacher told me. You know, <laughs> I was in high yeah. school. I was in high school, and I'm I'm five foot four, 
and I'm playing football and I'm, 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 I'm mad at the world. Uh, I've got a lot of life stuff going on and I, I wanted to play football and they put, I wanted to play defensive line. And my coach said, you're five foot four. We don't have defensive linemen that are five foot four. And I said, that's not what my, my kindergarten teacher said, you know, now, I didn't actually say <laughs> yeah. that to my coach, right, right, right. but in my mind, my, my mind was says, why not? And that's why right. I've accomplished so much in my life because I had a kindergarten teacher who grooved me not to let the naysayers to have control over my head, but to remember mm -hmm. that I could do something great. Why not, Rick? Why not? Why not you be that guy? You know? And that's why I'm taking this time to be in a conversation with you today, Michaela, because why not? Why can't we reimagine education around a more proactive classroom management scheme rather than oh, reacting absolutely. all the time? Let's think I differently. Mean, Absolutely. And the thing is that I have a challenge that I have as a leader, um, you know, as first as a principal um, and then, you know, and, and now coaching is actually a little bit easier because I think the pressure is off me. The pressure I was, you know, under daily as a principal, I think I have the mental capacity and emotional capacity to be, um, I was always empathetic, but like I actually can really, really process things down and really work through tough things with uh, teachers I coach. But I will say that it, it really didn't, um, doesn't make a lot of sense to me as to why we can't get there. Because some, something as simple as this, I, I actually refused to take as a principal, high school principal, we had um, the last place where I, I was principal, we, it was a K through 12 system. Um, and, uh, it was a one high school school system. So where I started, there were eight high schools. So there was no like feeder pattern. You just got, you got kids from like the, the 10 middle schools that were there, um, which is fine. Um, but it, at where I was pre, uh, recently, um, one high school, right. One, one high school system. And every year starting in January, you know, the middle school would reach out to me and say, into my special, um, my special ed uh, director at my school, um, and one of my, uh, counselors, social worker and say, we need, we need to schedule the transition meetings. And I said, tell me more about the transition meetings, right? Cause I understand, I mean, I'm a special ed teacher by background. I understand IEP transitions, but also like, uh, we all, you don't have to have those, right. That's like a nice thing to have. And yeah, if there are like medical needs, like, you know, certain things like that, yes. Like our, our families who, like to have that transition. Yes. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the transition meeting when, especially when it comes to that, but that wasn't the purpose of these transition mm. meetings. Mm. The purpose of these transition transition meetings were to uh, inform us and let us know about the students who were struggling and let us know all about them. And um, so in, I wasn't born yesterday uh, and having been around the block enough times, that to me equaled, I want to tell you everything the student has done wrong uh, since fifth grade. They're now in eighth grade. They're going to be in ninth grade next year. And I'm going to, we, we need to t impart all of the knowledge on you, the school team, so that you're prepared to deal with this student who has had all of these negative things. And I re refused to take those meetings because a, high school's a fresh start. So many kids, I mean, ninth graders are a hot mess and I used to teach ninth grade. I love them. Um, but they come in and they figure it out, right? They've got yeah. 12th graders, 11th graders, and 10th graders to 
look up to, right, to emulate some of the hopefully good behavior and some of the maybe not so great things that uh, the older kids can sometimes do. But, you know, they, they're coming in with a, they get a, it's one of the few times in your life where you do get a fresh start, a clean slate, and you can show up as who you aspire to be. And, and, and you would have people see you as you want to be seen. And those transition meetings, right, that were um, disguised as uh, helpful, <laughs> um, they, they robbed the child of the opportunity to show up with that clean slate. And I didn't like that because most of the time, the things that they said to look out for never presented themselves in, in ninth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I was interested in was knowing um, if there's something in particular that works really well right? With a student really or, you know, a relationship yeah. I, sh- I should know about, or, yeah. you know, hey, this works great when they're um, really stressed out. They like to listen to music that helps them calm down. Tell me that. I want to know that, right? Because yeah. that's going to help me the first time they're having, uh, you know, they're really stressed out. I'm not going to have to figure it out by stressing them out more. I know that they need to listen to music. I'll take that meeting. But the meeting where you tell me all the things they've done wrong for four years, I don't want it. And I used to tell them, no, I wouldn't go. Um, I wouldn't be part of it yeah. because that, that was part of that, like the beliefs that you're talking about. Yeah. I didn't well, want he- my staff to have, to come in with these beliefs about these, about kids. Um, when they have, they get four years with us. Yeah. Here, here's the kicker as a professor, I can, I'll admit I'm biased. I'm prejudiced. It's one of the reasons why on my exams, even at the, at, at the college level, I, I did the first two or three pages, if they could be objective, you know, true, false, fill in the blank, those type of things. I got those out of the way because when it came to the essays, I knew it was subjective. And I usually have my grader uh, maybe evaluate them first for any type of um, misspellings and those type of things. But here's the thing that's interesting to me. I, I tried to get the front page out of the way so I could not see whose name was on the test. When I went to those essay uh, questions, I didn't want to know who had written those, those answers. Mm-hmm. And I would grade them without knowing the answers. And it was interesting that had I known who it was, a lot of times it'd be the difference between an A minus and a B plus, mm-hmm. you know? And hey, if I like you, you get the A minus. The first say a person who gives a B plus grade could give the exact same answer, maybe worded a little different, exact same answer though, but because I don't like you so much, you get a B plus. Grading is so prejudicial. Oh, it is. And, it's very subjective set kids off and, and we use them to basically put kids down and, and put them in boxes all the way through higher education. And, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and again, you know, I know that we'll be back together um, talking about. We can have a whole conversation motivate- just on grades. Oh, oh, please. Yes, we could. Um, but you know what, what motivates students, but yeah, you know, I think it's something, something to something that we can end on. That I think actually like for me, ties a lot of this together you know we talked about belonging boredom and beliefs yeah really is it it comes down to it's all three because it actually falls in every bucket um but it's when we help kids see what they're capable of right and we help them see the best in themselves and we make or force others like their other teachers other adults to see the best in them, they're going to rise to that occasion every time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you talk about belonging, you have to know a kid, right? The relationship piece, you have to know them in order to be able to pull out those strengths, right? And say like, I see that in you. 
like your kindergarten teacher, right? I, I'm, I see that inside you. You may not see it and maybe nobody's ever said it before, but I see it and I'm going to show it to you. Um, and then as far as um, they're not going to be bored when they know they can work, that they, there's something inside, there's something inside, there's something in them that they can continue to grow and grow and grow and nourish and nurture. They're usually going to try to figure out the way to do that. And then how powerful for a student to a yes know that you believe in them but b when they start to believe in themselves they're unstoppable Change so your beliefs. yep um thank you so much for joining us today i think that uh well i know how uh impactful this conversation is um i know that we really just you know it's like when you're opening a can of, like a can of soup or something with that pop top and like you yeah. get you open it and you're like yes i got it and then like that now you're like, oh man, I can't get the rest of the top off or I can't even get halfway. Yeah, you know, we, we like pop the top and we kind of got the, the top of the, the, the can of soup open um, a little bit, but we got to crack it open all the way. So I think we're going to have a few more episodes where we get to do that and, um, and, and some work along the way. So thank you so much for joining us tonight, though. Um, and just uh, everybody can find you at, is it, it's rickchromie.com? RickCromie.com is my speaker site. Uh, I, I will tell you that if you're interested in it, I have a digital book that I sell through my faith-based organization called mm -hmm. Why Kids Misbehave. And it's oh. available for, it's a $5 donation, you know? Mm -hmm. So if oh, you're interested okay. in this, just go to RickCromie.com, write to me and we'll connect and, and I'll give you a direct link for how to do that. But yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty simple and uh, a good five, $5 helps me do my nonprofit work and I give it away that way. Awesome. So what I'll do is, um, so for everybody listening, rickchromie.com and chromie is C-H-R-O-M-E-Y.com. Uh, and what I'll also do is um, that will be right in the episode notes. So if for some reason they don't remember, listeners, just go to the episode notes and I'll link it right in there so they can find you there. Um, and until next time, I will say thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Like I said, I think we'll be hearing a lot more from Dr. Cromie on future podcast episodes and other opportunities. He's somebody I deeply enjoyed connecting with. You know the subject matter is incredibly important to me and the way that he talks about why students misbehave and, and the way that we need to approach it really resonated with me when I met him um, and again on the podcast episode. So I hope you enjoyed it again. Let us know what you thought. Don't forget to visit rickchromie.com. Purchase his book, Why Students Misbehave. I think the more informed and the more understanding we all are, the easier we will, time we will have in supporting students and the better we will feel. Until next time, have a great week and take care.